because you're jumping back into the gap. All right, hey, go. coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome Ohio State head coach Kevin McGuff to share the game. Coach McGuff's 19-year head coaching career consists of nine years at Xavier University, two years at the University of Washington, before arriving at Ohio State. He holds a 69% overall winning percentage with a career mark of 426 and 184. His Ohio State teams have broke single-season scoring records and went from the 52 scoring offense in his first year and the number 10 in scoring offense in his second year using a five-out offense that we are going to discuss now. Coach McGuff, welcome to the podcast. Yay, thanks for having me on today. Yeah, really excited to talk. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about one of the most popular topics in basketball coaching now, and that's five-out and uh, certainly moving to five-out as well. But uh, all of this first started from the foundation of the dribble drive, didn't it? Yes, it did. So when I went to Washington, um, our first year there, we, we inherited some good post players. So we kind of carried on what, it, what we had been doing at Xavier University. It was very post-oriented and, and two post players. And, and we had some success that first year. But then heading into my second year, we really had one post player. And she unfortunately was a freshman. She got hurt in the summer. So I literally, I can remember, I was sitting in my office with, with my assistant coach, Mike Neighbors. And like, you know, what, what are we going to run this year? <laughs> and so I stumbled upon the dribble drive. And at that time I had, I reached out to Vance Wahlberg and I literally, I tracked down his number and I sent him a message and I was just going to try to see if he was going to have a clinic anywhere in the West. So I could go see it. And he called me like three minutes later, we talked for like an hour the first time. And anybody who knows Vance, he just loves to talk basketball. He's so good at it. And then, so I really got excited about the dribble drive really just out of necessity because we didn't have any post players my second year there. So we implemented that and we really had a lot of success that year. And then I left and, you know, Mike continued with it at Washington and they had great success and going to the final four, you know, running the dribble drive there. Yeah. Vance is tremendous. He's been on this podcast. I've had him up to Windsor when I was the head coach there for a clinic and uh, what a sharer, what tremendous uh, impact he's made on coaching, hasn't he? Oh, he has. He loves to share. He's incredibly smart and very passionate about the game. And I mean, I, I could call him at any time and with questions. We, we've now started doing some of the stuff he does on defense with his press. And I've always got questions for him. He always picks up the phone. He's always got great answers. Yeah, that's great. And uh, so talk to me a little bit then the dribble drive. Uh, did you do anything to adapt it to your personnel specifically? Did you do anything where you added or you removed stuff? Um, we did a little bit. And, um, you know, we, we were pretty traditional with it when I started and um, in that year at Washington. And we were just, we were small. And so our, our, our five player, which, well, one thing Vance told me is he said, hey, somebody's going to, you know, if you're going to be really small, somebody may, you know, nobody wants to play around the basket. And so he said, hey, take your five player, call them the four player, take your four player, call them the five player, which I did. And it kind of like kind of I think it tricked them for a while. And by the time they figured out what was going on, we were actually having a little bit of success. And so that was one thing that kind of got us going there. Um, and then 
when I came to Ohio State, we, we implemented the dribble drive, and we didn't have great personnel for it my first year. But then our second year, we were able to recruit Kelsey Mitchell, who was um, exceptional in the dribble drive and, and, and really a, a, an elite player. And we had a really good team for it in general. Um, but, um, you know, we, we kind of tweaked it year to year based on our personnel. But, but really kind of when we ran the dribble drive, we were pretty traditional with it from what kind of Vance's principles are. Right. And you talked about Kelsey Mitchell and uh, Kelsey Plum was your first player to be able to be featured somewhat through this dribble drive as well, wasn't she? Well, you know, when, when we were at Washington, you know, we didn't, have, we didn't have a great team. So recruiting was a big point of emphasis for us to kind of get the talent level to where we needed it. And uh, we sold Kelsey Plum on the idea that she could come to Washington. We would build the program around her. We were going to run the dribble drive, which would be a perfect um, fit for her. And so um, I was the head coach. We recruited her. And then I left and went to Ohio State. And Mike Neighbors took over, and they continued to run the dribble drive. And, and Kelsey Plum is the all-time leading scorer in women's basketball history. And so then I came to Ohio State, and I was fortunate enough to recruit Kelsey Mitchell. And we put her in our offense to dribble drive in the way we did it. And she became the uh, number two uh, leading scorer in NCAA history. So we had – they had Kelsey at Washington and Kelsey at Ohio State, number one, number two um, scores in women's basketball history. So Vance should actually be using that um, in his clinics now that his offense created the, the top two scores in the history of our game. Yeah, that's a pretty cool fact. That's a, that's a, that's a great testament to the dribble drive. And then, and then yeah. talk to me a little bit because the dribble drive, the reason we're talking about it is it, it's still a part of your offense. But now you move to more of a five-out type of offense with a lot of NBA influence. and. If I understand correctly, the dribble drive is kind of the more the end action that the play after the play type of stuff. That's 100 percent right. So so we obviously we were having success with the dribble drive and 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 we like that. But, you know, one of the things is when you're playing against um, elite rim protectors um, on the defensive end, it can be a little problematic. We put such an emphasis on driving to the basket and finishing around the, the basket. And obviously in the dribble drive, when the, when the post player slides over to contest or block a shot, we can obviously drop it to the five, or we can really emphasize rebounding because they're not in great rebounding position if they're over contesting your drives, but still it's, it's a lot harder um, than it is just to say you're going to do that because the balls get deflected and it's not like men's basketball. You just throw it up and they dunk it. And so I started looking as we evolved with some of our recruiting and we were fortunate enough to get some post players who could play on the perimeter and who could shoot the ball from the three point line. I started getting a little bit intrigued by some of the five out stuff I've seen in the NBA. And basically just as much as anything to take away the rim protectors. And um, and so I was really you know excited to kind of learn more about that. And I was fortunate that our former coach at Ohio State, Thad Mata, is a good friend of Mike Budenhoser at uh, the Bucks, So he set me up with, with him. And then Coach Bud was phenomenal. And he, he kind of set me up with one of their assistants. And so I did a couple, a couple calls with them uh, to gather more information. That's how we kind of started with kind of mimicking a lot of things the Bucks were doing. And then we've kind of taken it and done our own research with a lot of the other NBA teams and some of the European teams that we watch to kind of put our own little spin on it. So it's tremendous. And I watched a lot of clips to get ready for this and uh, definitely see the influence of 
you know, the five out and so many different NBA actions gets and, and dribble hand staggers, dribble handoffs and different actions like that. But, you know, still so productive in the women's game is attacking at the basket with size matchups. So I also saw that you blended that in as well with some forced curl action and different stuff like that. So can you talk about that? Because the one thing you didn't want to lose, I imagine, with the five out is attacking the rim. 100%. We, um, that's the first thing that's like, we're obviously, we're sprinting, sprinting in transition as fast as we can in the, in a, into the five out spots. And our first thing is to attack the rim. And we have a lot of quick actions that even not only just our guards, but we'll try to get our post players in matchups that we like. And this kind of comes back to some of that dribble drive stuff. We'll just do a quick uh, pass and through cut and drive kind of off their, off their backside, that type of stuff. Um, we wanted to keep that, that stuff attacking the rim because you're right. It, it's a big part of the women's game. Um, they, I think they call a little bit more fouls off the dribble and that type of stuff. And so basically you know, kind of even to take a step further and hopefully not to get too ahead here, but we run the five out stuff. We have a lot of actions we run. And then if the actions, we don't get a shot, then we always have somebody rolling to the basket and it kind of flows into the dribble drive kind of as the play after the play. And you can see that in coaches that get a chance to go watch, you'll notice that aspect of it. So um, that's fine, coach. We can go anywhere we want with this. That's the beautiful thing about this podcast. We're talking to coaches mainly. So we can go anywhere and uh, let's start with maybe the template that you run to, because that all obviously is often a question with these type of five out offenses and you are not running four out one in you're running to five out spacing template. We're running to five out now, occasionally, and we will let them play a little bit. If we have a, a five player that gets way ahead of the action, could they get a quick post up? Yes. Um, if they don't get the ball quickly, we want them out so we can get into our five out actions. Um, but on a, and we kind of break it up because on a missed shot, we run to any spot um, on the floor. And we really, if we're doing it at our best, we have our post players running different spots because opposing teams, post players, they like to run to the paint and look for their post player. Um, and so we try to get our post players on missed shots, just turn around, run as quick as you can now. Because they rebound on the other end, they may end up in the what we call the five and four spots a lot, but we want them running to any position. So truly positionless basketball off of a missed shot. We want to be up the court as quick as we can and really in attack mode. And we have some quick actions. It might be a kick up. It might be a rub. It might be a quick ball screen. Those are what we call quick actions. And if those don't work, then we have what we call away screens or stagger screens that will kind of flow into um off of a missed shot so that's kind of the missed shot package then on a made basket we've we've changed this in the last since we got to the five out we have our five player take the ball out and we're still trying to get the ball up as quick as possible but because we run more kind of sort of set actions out of five out off made baskets we will run the two the two right the three left the four to the left 45 and the five to the top of the key after they've been about the ball Okay, well, let's start with the quick actions then, and uh, especially on misses. So if I understand that, then there's some automatic actions relative to where a player fills and where a player is relative to the ball. Is that how it works? Yeah, right. So our first thing would be a, a 45 attack where, like, let's say whoever the, the ball was outletted to, uh, they can attack off the 45 with spacing, which which could lead to getting to the rim. It could lead to, you know, uh, what we call a lock three or a one more, and we're just kind of playing basketball at that point. Um, it could also, hey, you go to attack the 45, 
but you get stopped out of the corner. Maybe they're in the gap. We could have a quick kick up. Um, we could also have a handoff out of the corner. And then the same thing, uh, we could be attacking the 45. We don't have anything. Let, let's just say we have a post player trailing at the five spot. We could do um, a quick five strong, what we would call it, which is a quick ball screen. And then if you can imagine this, we do a quick ball screen. They come off the five rolls. At that point, we've kind of just morphed into dribble drive. Um, <clears throat> we could do a, a, a quick kick up out of the corner into a five strong. So a kick up five strong roll, same thing. It morphs into then the dribble drive. So those will be what we call like really quick actions. Love it. Love it. And uh, so is, if your big's in the trail spot or your big's behind the play or to the weak side of the play, are they told to screen their way or cut their way to the action? Is that what you're giving them the cue as? Yeah, kind of like we kind of, whoever had the ball handler is, if, if they can get to the rim, they're going to do that first. If not, then they can kick up out of the corner. Um, and then we can get a quick ball screen. So they're kind of just playing. It's mostly predicated on what the ball handler is, is kind of calling or feeling. But then if we don't get a quick action, we're in these five out spots off a missed shot. We're either going to go a single away screen and we have a, a bunch of actions that can happen with that, or we're going to go stagger in a bunch of actions that can happen out of that. Hey coach, brief interruption from the podcast. Have you heard of Spotify green room? Spotify Green Room is a free audio-only social media platform for sports fans. Start to join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. I host a room every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the conversation. Follow me at B-Ball Immersion on Twitter to be notified when my room goes live. Hey, Coach, I really appreciate you listening to the Basketball Podcast, and I hope you will consider supporting it and your coaching even more as the countdown is over. It's here. It's live. It's been years in the making. We have launched our newly redesigned website at BasketballImmersion.com. Basketball Immersion is an effective player development tool because we focus on coach development. Since we know the greatest player development is coach development, we support and stimulate change in you as a coach. Now is the time to immerse yourself in learning. In our community, we'll show you how to get specific outcomes using comprehensive video and course-based learning, as well as community interaction and expert sharing in our master classes. You will get specific outcomes to stimulate, add to, make over, or improve your coaching. Join our community today at basketballimmersion.com and learn what is possible. So having run a lot of five out in transition, especially the two side concept where we're trying to attack to, to the weak side 45 and drive that 45, like you're talking about. One of the challenges for players is to know when to flow into those next actions. And right. I'm curious, some of the cues that you've given players to help them identify when to flow into those next actions. Yeah, that's a, it's a great, uh, great discussion point. And one of the things like when we first started doing it, I found myself trying to read the action. And what I mean by that is if we're, we're quick up the court, it looks like we have an advantage or the ball handler might get to the rim. I'm, I'm not saying anything and I'm letting them play, but it, but if it gets, starts to get a little bogged down, a lot of times I'm in the beginning, I would call something away or stagger and then let them make the reads off of that just to keep the flow going. As we've gotten a little better and our guards have gotten a little better with the ball, our, our guards are starting to get the feel for 
hey, I think I can attack or I think I can get a quick kick up. Um, and they're doing that. And if not, they feel like they're getting bogged down or the defense is set and we don't have much of an advantage. Now they're starting to call away and stagger. And they're starting to make, they're starting to get that feel for, okay, our initial attack mode, we didn't get anything. Let's get the next flow part of it. And they're starting to get a better feel for that the more we do it. Well, and I love that watching your team that you saw sometimes these, these bunches of action, which I think, again, cause confusion for a defense where it's almost like you're creating imperfect spacing to create better spacing after the fact. And it's good. Right. And imagine, again, those are like kind of those imperfect moments that are actually perfect, aren't they? Correct. Yeah. And I think to your point, those imperfect moments makes it a little harder for the defense to actually know what's going on. And we get to the next point where we get to spacing, right? And we're in attack mode with great spacing. And I bring that up because I often get asked a lot about like coaches concern about having bad spacing, say, if you're driving the 45 towards a three side or something mm -hmm. like that. So I'm curious, first of all, do you do anything special when you drive towards a three side? Not really. We, we try to like, we sometimes move them over if that makes sense. Yep. Like push them. just to maintain, yeah, push, push them over would be the biggest thing. Yeah. Great. And uh, you know, the other part of this, which I imagine again, this dribble drive just helped complement it so well is how often your players ran really good pitch handoff action. Right. And then yeah. that creates that downhill driving action. It's really good because like, you know, we may have an away action or a stagger action, and all of a sudden we didn't get that, but we get that next step where that pitch back and driving down hills where we get a lot of people after we've moved them around a little bit. So talking about the staggers first, give us some of the teaching points on the staggers. Cause I did see sometimes, sometimes the first player curled the first screen and second player came off. So there's definitely some diversity of cuts and actions off of that. And is that personnel driven or is that a little bit more going into specific scout? Um, a little bit, hopefully, in, in theory, where they're reading the defense. Mm -hmm. For example, they're coming off a stagger, and let's say the defense kind of jumps them and tries to body up to them right off the first, right when they start cutting. Well, they can reject it. Um, and then we have a series of, you know, of actions that we do if we reject the screen. Um, then let's say they kind of get them, and they're, they're kind of trying to chase them, and we can single curl, and then we have some actions. or they can can double curl. And so really, it, or let's say they go stagger and they go under, well, they can fade and we have actions after the fade. So we're really trying to get them to read that. We break that down daily. We play three on three almost every day with all these different actions. We get our scout team to guard them different ways to try to get them in the, the idea of reading um, how the defense is guarding them. And then we have, you know, how we react after that. We, we, that's a big part of how we kind of build the offense up is working on that daily. Uh, yeah, it's great. You can tell you guys do work on that and players making great reads and, uh, you know, really again, great, always finding great spacing after the fact as well, which is a huge part of this. And kind of, we won't go back to your objectives a little bit. You already talked about playing fast and sprinting the floor with pace. But the second one really, again, plays into both the offensive concepts that you're blending here, and that's establishing gaps and driving angles. Can you talk a little bit to that? Yeah, that's a, that's a huge part of our deal, is to trying to create gaps and driving angles. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's sort of, I don't want to say easy, but initially you come down five out, great, we're going to attack and play as fast as we can, aggressively as we can. But then when you start to flow into the rest of the stuff, if you can continue to execute 
yet maintain spacing or, or recreate spacing after an action, which is what we're trying to do as we flow from these things to dribble drive. We get people a lot, a little bit, if we don't get that initial burst, a little bit later in the shot clock because we've moved them around, but allowed our team to continue to have spacing for our kids to drive. In. And, uh, and we're trying to get, and we're trying to get to the rim. We're trying to get fouled. We're trying to get open threes as much as we can. Yeah. And you guys drive it, you drive it hard. And I'm imagining again, that's a big part of this uh, in terms of your recruitment. Now that you're able to recruit to this as well, you're finding players that love to drive those gaps. No question. As we've really um, established a specific offensive identity, it's really given us great direction in the type of kids that we recruit. So the other objective is create and use your advantages. So playmaking. So I'm curious then, are you, are you hunting specific matchups when you get into the season and getting into your conference and stuff like that? We are sometimes, especially driving matchups. Um, if, if we can get, you know, where we like the driving matchup, that's a big deal for us. And we have you know, specific actions where we can get kids driving downhill in space against a, a favorable matchup is a big thing for us. Now, it's more of a high school question because you can certainly recruit a little bit more to this. But what do you do with that one player or that maybe can't drive it or can't shoot it as well as the other players? What are you trying to do with them in terms of the five out? Yeah, that's a, I get that question a lot from high school coaches because they'll say like, hey, I got four, four kids that can shoot it but my five player can't shoot it there. There are, and we've kind of gone, I've gone through with a couple of high school people. Like what we usually do is put them, you know, uh, let's say you're at the, the top of a stagger. We curl, then you come back and we pass it and hand off. And then you're rolling. You can, it, it's, you don't have as many options, but you can still do this and have your person who can't shoot be the person who's going to roll to the basket and kind of be low person once you get to dribble drive, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And that, that's, what, that's what we would do, and that's what I would do if, if we got a post player who – because we would recruit a great post player, even if they, they couldn't shoot it as well. We would just do stuff like that to get them around the basket as we get towards especially our play after the play. So, so give coaches maybe a perspective, like newcomers to your program, whether they're freshmen or transfers, coming in your program and running this five-out type of offense. What do you find they struggle with the most in terms of adapting it and uh, becoming successful within it? Well, I think the first thing is probably just the relentless pace, make or miss. It's like we're, you know, most kids grow up, they're used to jogging and everybody wants to play really fast until it means getting in incredible shape and playing fast make miss 40 minutes, you know, so just the consistent pace and expectation that you're going to sprint to the floor all the time, no matter what. Um, that's the first, that's the, that's probably the biggest thing. The next thing, most of the kids we get, if you give them space to play in, that's not really hard for them. They can drive it and make plays that way. It probably, the, the probably next hardest part is when we get to teaching them how to, how to read off of single away screens or staggered screens. You know, like, hey, somebody jumps the screen, you're going to reject it. That type of stuff is probably the next part that takes the most time for them to kind of get um, accustomed to. Yeah, that's good. And uh, you mentioned the away screens. And I, I want to spend some time on that because, again, all of us that, you know, five out maybe 25 years ago when people just ran basic pass and cut five out, the screen away was always the most effective part of that when you could add that screen away. And that's really when I think of the Bucks a few years ago, when we talk about their wide five out offense, that was one of the main features of it was that screen away action. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So we have kind of two options. Um, if you can imagine, and I'll just use these numbers 
for like we have the the one in the right 45 the two in the right corner the five at the top of the key the four in the left 45 and the three in the left corner so let's say the one's got the ball in the right 45 and we're going to screen away so that would be a five to four screen so we have a couple of things just like we were talking about in the staggers if they go to screen away and the defense would jump the screen, they can reject it immediately. And occasionally you'll get them like almost like on a back cut into the lane. Um, or if they don't, they could curl around. And, and what that does, even if they don't get the ball, as they curl around the five player, it's going to get the five player open. So what we do, if we're going to go what we call um, the strong side, we're going to pass to the elbow and then cut over top and have a series of things to do with now the five player at the elbow and the one is cut over top the screen for the three. And now you can almost get into the same stuff. The three could come off of two screens. They could reject and we could pop out. So just a, a myriad of options that way, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it basically, if coaches want to think about it, it can end up into a get type of action where either Correct. you could cut to a single side and kind of run corner action or cut to a double side and kind of run that classic Princeton convergence type action right correct so then the other thing like you said like that's what we call we go kind of over but the other thing the the four cut we passed it to the five and so now instead of going over the ball into the towards the three we're going towards the two and we're almost doing that Princeton away action so as the two comes out of the corner um if they if the if the defense tries to jump the screen at all their back door and the one pops back up and you either hit them on the back door or throw it to the one for a quick ball screen. Um, or the two can keep coming out of the corner and they could get both screens into a dribble handoff. That makes sense. Totally. And, uh, you know, I guess let's start with this. The other part that I saw your players do, and I didn't watch every clip, but I definitely saw this enough to know that they, they, they understand this concept. And that's when the screen away action happens. It's occupying two defenders. So Correct. driving it when this is happening is such a huge, huge advantage. Yes. And we, we, we have um, advantages that are a five spot there off the dribble. They get a lot of those. They, they catch it there and the action is going on and they just turn and drive. It. I saw that a lot. And I didn't see that just again from your traditional, say, your guards. Your bigs were doing that, too, when it was occupied. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good to see that. That's such an advantage and such an important thing. It's, it's basically akin for coaches to think about is like the importance of rejecting a ball screen. You can beat yeah, two at right. the same time. And this is the same thing when they're occupied. Yep. Uh, the other part that goes with this um, away action, as you already mentioned, is this flow into these staggered dribble handoffs, which will happen naturally as well. Can you talk about that? That's a very much an NBA thing nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. So it could go either way, really. Like I said, um, when we go five screens away for four and they cut, if we throw it to the five, around the elbow we can cut over go get the three so the three comes off um, a screen from the one and then a handoff from the five and then the five's rolling pretty good action or if we throw it and we go away now the one is screening for the two coming out of the corner and assuming they didn't reject it we have that little princeton action then they're getting a screen from the one and then a handoff from the five and the five roll so basically you're providing for all of us a conceptual offensive template for players and to be able to simply understand different things that are possibilities within it. And uh, I'm imagining one of the advantages is difficult to scout. Correct. If we're doing it right, it's difficult to scout because if, 
our kids are are reading the way there's a couple of ways, you know, you, you could chase them off these screens all night long, or you could go under. And if, if we're doing it right, we're reading how they're guarding us and reacting accordingly in, in executing based on how they're, they're guarding us. Can you run this type of five out offense without having gravity of three point shooting? Yeah, I, I would, that, that would be a little harder because I think uh, the three point shot needs to be a part of this. Uh, so if I didn't have good three point shooters, I'd probably have to pause a little bit and really feel like it, it because what would happen if you didn't have good enough three-point shooters that people are just going to sit in the gaps, they're going to sit way in the help side, and it's really going to take away a huge part of what I think the advantage of this offense is, which is attacking and getting to the rim. Um, but I think you could take that away if you couldn't shoot it well. So with that, then, maybe talk to me about this uh, shoot-first mentality and uh, how you get players to – go to their next level of pace. As you already mentioned, they don't quite know what pace is until they get to your program. Right. So one is, you know, on an aside, I think it's a a really big part of college basketball is that your strength and conditioning coach is in total alignment with what your style of play is going to be. We have a really good strength and conditioning coach. She does a great job and we have constant conversations about, Hey, how can we get our players how is she, whatever we're doing on the court, how can she kind of complement that to make sure we're in, in great condition? And we got a lot of technology and all that type of stuff. So that's the first thing is, is we have a, a strength coach that's totally in line with what we're doing. And we work really well together to make sure we're in great shape that we can do it. Then after that, it's just, I think as a coach, you kind of got to be relentless about what's really important to you. And you, you can't, every single thing you can't be crazy about. But so I'm really big on making sure people are sprinting the floor. And I have assistant coaches who are watching that just to hold our kids accountable for sprinting the floor. Um, so, so that's, and we have repercussions if they don't, they're coming out or they're going to see the strength coach, something, but we're going to establish that as a huge identity of who we are. And I imagine you also as well, you're connecting the advantage to a player of sprinting the floor, right? That, that no eventually question. they're going to yeah, see yeah. the result. Exactly. And point, yeah, to your point, pointing that out when, Hey, you sprinted the floor, you got ahead of everybody, you got a layup. Or, hey, we just had a five-minute segment. We got a couple layups because we just were relentless about running the floor. Now connect that to a 40-minute game and just the impact that can have for us. Well, I love that mentality of, you know, you can't coach at all, so you have to be relentless on what really matters to you. So you said sprinting the floor. What else in this offense really matters to you? I think um, just ball movement. Um, the one thing that can get a little scary in less the five out, but when we were on the dribble drive, you can, the ball can get dominated by one or a few people. And so you got to have to, you got to kind of guard on that. And so as much as, uh, and kind of to take that a step further, as much as I'm absolutely fine with a quick shot and transition, if it's a great shot, we do talk a lot about um, what is a good shot and shot selection and making sure it's a shot that, you have mastered and perfected. I mean, you, you, you have kids show up every once in a while, like want to shoot threes, but they don't make them in practice. So, you know, having those discussions, um, a little bit of the time and score because we can get shots up quickly, but just making sure they're educated on time and score. So they're, they're taking that into account at the right times. Yeah. It's, it's fun stuff. And again, it's, a, it's edu- education within a template that players can understand, but they still value the fact that you're giving them freedom and possibilities within that. Right. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And I would, I would much rather have them feeling a little free uh, and like, like as long as they're taking shots, they've proven they can make that they're, they're not feeling constricted because I think the opposite of what we're doing can be really detrimental where your kids are thinking too much. They're not sure if they should shoot it. And then that all that doubt, I think just limits their effectiveness. So the confidence as well to be able to flow into the dribble drive, which again is proven that they know it works as well. So you're into five out, you run five out, you flow into dribble drive. Are you designating a certain player to play on the interior? Or is, as you said, it sometimes happens naturally off of roles or different yeah, actions. It's somewhat positionless because occasionally we'll have like a, a perimeter player um, end up being the, what we call the low person in the dribble drive, just based on however the action went. Because what we do is we end up that we end up usually all the actions usually end up with a handoff or a ball screen. And that person is rolling to the basket. Hey, coach, brief interruption from the podcast. Have you heard of Spotify Green Room? Spotify Green Room is a free audio only social media platform for sports fans. Start enjoying ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors and games. Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes and executives in real time. I host a room every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the conversation. Follow me at B-Ball Immersion on Twitter to be notified when my room goes live. Coach, we appreciate your support of our sponsors that help make the basketball podcast available to you. Kansas City Steak Company wants to make this your best grilling season ever. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with code SD. Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up the grill. Enjoy their butter tender filet mignon, hearty Kansas City strip steaks, and savory ribeyes. It's been a hard year, so enjoy being together again by bringing the steakhouse to your house with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with code SD at checkout. That's KansasCitySteaks.com, code SD. What were uh, some of the details that you took away from your discussions with the NBA coaches specifically about this? You know, obviously their rules are different, but uh, there's a lot of commonalities that suit what you're doing. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the interesting things is um, that I don't know that we've gotten figured out yet. I'm still kind of searching for it is and because I, I asked all the NBA people that I've ever talked to and they all kind of all kind of had the same answer. They weren't sure. People had different ideas, but but rebounding. Um, because it's it's kind of tricky the way you teach offensive rebounding with five out type stuff. And so I'm still sort of, and that's, that's the one question I always ask any NBA person I talk to and you get different answers, but uh, so we're still trying to work on that actually. Like the bucks, they kind of, they come from the corners and through the elbows uh, and they get like long rebounds, but we're still, that's one of the things that um, I've tried to figure out and, and no one's really had a, a, a surefire thing that I said, like, boy, that makes the most sense. Well, and that's an interesting conversation because a lot of the NBA teams are obviously somewhat conservative too with their, you know, offensive rebounding. They'd rather get back in transition. transition. You, right. Yeah. yeah. But you've seen some teams adapt and change that because the one advantage of a five out is that you have space for speed to be able to sprint yes. in for offensive rebounds, right? Yes, that's exactly right. So that's what we're trying to balance it to, 
exactly what you said is getting back. But at the same time, you know, a lot of times when, when people are guarding perimeter players, shot goes up, they kind of just turn their head and you can sprint by them. So we're, we're kind of working on a, a, a system right now that can be something simple for our players that they can understand that can maybe help us be effective and kind of have the right balance of offensive rebounding and transition defense. And you mentioned uh, rebounding through the elbows at the NBA level. And uh, we've talked about this on this podcast before, this concept of the, the nail and a higher percentage of rebounds go to the nail because we're shooting more threes at the NBA level. And that somewhat right. dictates where they send people to offensive rebound. Have you done that type of analytic study for your level? We have done that too. Yeah. Yes. And in, in, in college women's basketball, there's not as many there because not as many people are playing like the NBA, but for us specifically, we are getting more rebounds there. Yeah. I was going to say from this five out, it makes sense that there's probably more rebounds going to that nail area. If you have, ideally you just don't miss coach. And we solve all these problems. Isn't that, the that's right. hundred percent. That's a, that's a, that's a great point. Yes. <laughs> I love that aspect of that too. So coach, you mentioned a little bit about how you practice. So let's, let's dive into that a little bit. You talked about doing some small sided games um, and essentially each of these actions breaks down in some type, some type of small sided game. So can you talk a little bit about that methodology? Yeah, we do. We, we break down our, uh, what we'll do is we'll break down our, our three on three stuff, like our away screen, which you can do with three people. And we'll line up every player in our program in all the different spots. So they play all the spots. Then we'll break down and we have practice players that, well, we do both. We sometimes we do it against each other in, in a competitive drill. Um, and sometimes we do it against our practice players. And the same thing. We'll break down the stagger stuff. We usually do four on four. Um, and then we'll even get, some of it will, will because the, the, the way and the stagger stuff, they can usually get a shot in there, but sometimes then we'll script it where they have to get, we'll do the same stuff. Then they have to get to the dribble drive, the play after the play, just to make sure we're working on that. Um, and we get, so when we get to an opponent that's forcing us to get that far into the offense that we're, we're ready to do that, but that's how we, we really teach it a lot. And that's how we, um, kind of drill it. We, and we, we have different ways we do it, different competitive ways we do it, but it's mostly three on three or four on four. And I, I did want to highlight that you've said that, and you've mentioned that twice is about the defenders are randomizing how they cover it. Right. And I imagine that's after initial learning, after your players kind of understand the basic read after that, you want these, particularly these scout players to be able to randomize how they cover. So your players get used to reading. Correct. hundred percent. That's that's exactly what we're doing. And especially early on, we have our practice players. We'll tell them, I'll, I'll have one of my assistants go over there and tell them how to, without telling our players, tell them how to guard it just to see if our players can react. And if they aren't reacting, then we'll stop and talk about it. Make sure we're teaching them what we're exactly um, trying to accomplish here and, and how we're going to read this. And then we'll kind of keep going with that until they start to get the concepts. Then the practice players will let them kind of do it on their guard however you want and make our players react to it accordingly. No, it's great. Conceptual defense to make your conceptual offense better, right? Exactly. It's great stuff, coach. And, and uh, imagine the other part to this a little bit is this, this concept, and I've saw your players do it enough, and I don't know what you call it. I've heard it from the NBA coaches calling it, quicking it, where you're kind of at the four or five point line on a replacement or on a stationary spot, and then you're running into the catch. So you've basically yes. predetermined drive. You're running into it into space and you're driving there and you just have this runway type of effect. 
Is that yes. something you're teaching? We are. We are. We're really trying to get them just on the catch. They're, they're kind of running into it, and then they're, they're in attack mode. And then it's like, hey, make them take that away first, and then we'll kind of teach you how to play after that. But we are 100% trying to highlight that, emphasize that, and teach that as, as kind of our first line of offense. So you, you mentioned pace and practice. Obviously, you mentioned the, the strength and condition coach doing a great job connecting everything for players. I, I imagine your practice, the pace is pretty high. How do you balance that with teaching, keeping the pace up so they get used to the pace and also being able to stop, correct, and teach? Yeah, so um, I think great question. We, we do initially early on, we'll do a lot of five on zero. And we'll, I like to do everything timed on the shot clock um, that they have to get it in. And so with that, it's probably a little less teaching and a little more emphasizing our style. Then when we get to three on three and four on four, before we even ever go against the defense, we will go three on zero and four on zero just to really teach the concepts and I'll kind of call it out like, Hey, okay, this is going to be a single curl because they're, they're chasing you boom, here's what's going to happen. We'll really slow down and teach that. And, to, and then once we get through three on zero, four on zero, and I feel like they kind of have an understanding, then we'll start to introduce defense. But before we even get to the defense out there, we're going to go three on three and four on zero to teach. So, so you have the shot clock on possessions of five on O, so that they know. Yeah. And it's usually a shorter shot clock than you normally would use in a game. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love that aspect of it because I think coaches – like when we talk about doing five on O and coaches know I'm not big on five on O, but when I am big on five on O it's because it helps your players represent the extreme pace that you're trying to play at understanding when you add defense, you're not going to be able to play at that pace, but at least you've represented how fast you're trying to get. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And we do more five on O up and down for that very point. Um, and then in the half court, less more three on three, four on four, and then let them play five on. That's a fun way to practice as well. And, uh, you know, you talked about getting your players some defensive reps against this as well. Are you finding you're playing more and more against five out type of offensive systems at the women's college level? We're starting to see it a little bit. Um, there, there's not as many women's college basketball players, traditional post players that play like that on the perimeter. So we don't see it a ton, ton um, like there is in the NBA, um, but we are starting to see it a little bit more. And I, I think we'll see it. I, if, if I was at a mid-major school and I could get smaller post players that could play like this and really stretch the floor, I think it, it can kind of be problematic for even playing against like, you know, quote-unquote higher-level teams. Yeah, no doubt, because you're pulling, again, the other part is you're pulling their big, which is usually a huge difference in the women's college game, right? The, the top 25 teams have a big that is so good, and you got to pull them from the basket, right? Right. If you, if you can pull them away from the basket, that's a problem for the other team. Yeah. You talked about that in terms of removing rim protection at the rim. And uh, with that, I guess the other part is over the years that you've done this, how long have you done the five out system coach? Like two, we just uh, two years. So two years. So, and we, you've saw, saw incredible improvement from yes. number 52 right. to number 10 in the country in scoring offense. Yeah. So I'm curious as well. What have you seen in terms of three point percentages and the quality of three point shots? Have you seen those go up as well? Those have gone up. Last year, we were really efficient from the three-point line, and it went up from the year before. And so, and, and we work, we work a lot in the summer on three-point shooting, and obviously the, the specific shots that we get in the offense, and the footwork, and all that stuff. And so, that's a big part of our kind of year-round development. 
you know, the other part that I think coaches like yourself do a great job of is connecting this for recruits to the fact that this is the, how the WNBA is playing. So, cool. you, you know, you're going to watch that and you want to play that. You're going to see it the same. And we certainly saw it throughout the Olympics on the women's side as well. The five out was such a dominant offensive system. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, like, hey, for, for kids that aspire to play at the next level, we are running an offense um, that will allow you to get to learn how to do that. And we're developing our players within the offense. It's a perfect kind of segue into your professional career. So you talked about connecting this with your strength coach. I'm curious, how does this connect now with your defensive philosophy? Does this offensive philosophy change a little bit how you view your defense? It does. It obviously makes the game go fast. And one of the things, um, you know, we were probably at our best last year when we were pressing and it just really sped the game up. And, and I, prior to coming to Ohio state, I never pressed. I was at Xavier as at Washington. We were always half court man to man defense period. End of discussion. That's what, that's who we are. That's what we did. And I did start to introduce the press a little bit as a compliment really to our offense in terms of just a total style offense, defense, and how they could fit together in creating pace for 40 minutes in a game. And, I, and I've kind of liked it. I, I like this a lot more than, than I thought I would. Matter of fact, it goes back to Vance kept telling me when we, I would always talk to him about offense and the dribble drive. And he'd say, Hey, you got to look at our defense. It's really good. And you're going to like it. And then I finally, I did. I was like, you know what? He was right. I actually kind of like this. Said any coach ever who's talked to Vance, the only thing he wants to talk about is his defense, and is absolutely right. It's brilliant. Funny. Stuff. It's brilliant. It's really stuff. funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really you know well thought out and very organized. And so, so we have used that to kind of just create overall pace in the game to kind of play back to the way we want to play on offense. And, and you've addressed it, and it speaks to my kind of original question about this because it speaks to the psychology of a player. I found that when we increased our pace. When we went to this five-out type of system, more threes, more dribble drive type stuff, our players somewhat got impatient on defense if we were just going to go back and play, say, regular pack line. So I found that we had to in, in, you know, increase our pickup points and do different things to get more aggressive kind of because it kind of suited their psychology of offense. No, I think that's a great point, and you're right. And that, that it kind of – you probably said it better than what I was trying to say is it kind of creates a – uh, just a total system for how you're playing and kind of makes things fit together with your offense and your defense. Yeah. And you get to have fun coaching, right? Do you find That's yourself right. spending less time coaching possessions than maybe you traditionally would have in the past? Exactly. Yes, you do. Because the game's going faster. And if, if we've done it right, we've taught our players how to play. We've had enough discussion about shot selection. Um, not once again, not wanting to hold them back, wanting them to feel confident, but also not allowing the game to be crazy. We want the game to get going fast because that's our style. And we feel like that the most opposing teams don't want that. So that's what we want. The best pace teams I've seen in, at the collegiate level in particular uh, always use shot clocks in practice and then smaller shot clocks, right, in terms of uh, the yes. number. Are yes. you doing stuff like that as well in all your drills? You're, you're reducing the shot clock times? Yes. Most, most drills that we're, yes, we're, we're reducing it. We're making it 20. 24 or whatever the case may be. But usually we usually don't use a 30 second shot clock. Yeah. And 24 is no problem for your players. I imagine. Right. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. Uh, it makes it a lot of fun to be able to connect all these things together in that way. And then with the strength and conditioning stuff, you talked about that, but your practice pace is at a level where you probably don't need as much pure just running and strength and conditioning. Do you as well? 
Correct. Yeah, no, especially when we get to actual practice, we don't do a lot of running outside of what we do in practice. Uh, but just by virtue of how we practice and the things that we do and the amount that we go up and down, we get ourselves in really good shape. And, and the undertone of all this is that players enjoy this, right? They enjoy that they don't have to do that extra conditioning. They'd rather do it practicing and playing basketball. It would. And our, we have a very competitive group. Anything we can do competitive, even if it's going up and down and making them play really fast and really hard, it's no problem for them. So take us through this, sorry, take us through this other major part of, of this offensive system, whether it's dribble drive and five out that you've blended and how you develop your players' ability to be able to attack these runways, attack these gaps. What are some of the ways that you've developed their ability to be able to improve that aspect? Yeah, so the way I do it, kind of just the big picture is, I obviously, I work on everything that the team is going to do from a five out, from an offense-defense standpoint, big picture. Each one of my assistants has a core player group, and I let him or her, we talk about, hey, what does each person need to be successful within the system? And then I'll try to have a, have a plan to plug them in to be successful. I've got a great staff right now that works really hard in their development. We obviously have a year-round plan. This summer, we worked a lot on three-point shooting, footwork, and the shots that we could, could, you know, that we charted that we got last year. So we worked a lot on those shots. And then we did work a lot. We have a lot of, like, even in the summer, full-court drills where our kids, really what we, we, we see, going back to one of the things that you asked about people adjusting to this, is just getting people to be able to play as fast as they can, but be able to make plays at that kind of rate of speed because a lot of times when they come it's a little uncomfortable and they're kicking the ball around a little bit so we really just to to get them to be successful individually with their skill work just get them playing fast faster than they ever have now we don't want them out of control um, we don't want them to feel like they're playing too fast that they can't can't be effective but we just get them going up and down playing really fast and making plays and then it's almost like we try to get them going fast and then slow them back down to where, like, what was it? John Wooden said, hey, we want you to play fast, but not in a hurry or something along those lines. We, we kind of then try to dial it back into that. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And, uh, you know, it's it just, again, it's an overriding philosophy that suits everything in terms of the program. But the other part then is this attack and counter versus turning a drive into a handoff and teaching that aspect of that decision making off the dribble as well. And, uh, that's that's something that takes time, but I'm curious. Do you have any kind of like teaching points that have helped you develop that for your players? Yeah, you know, we we do a lot where um, we attack, and we'll have the like the practice team. Sometimes they'll get in the get, like sometimes they'll 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 be denying the wing where they've got a great driving lane, so they have to read that and attack and get past people into the rim and finish. Sometimes then we'll have them playing fast and attacking where we put the defense in the gaps. So now it becomes a, a quick kick up and they have to quickly read that. Um, and that's where we, that's how we kind of work on that stuff. Mostly is just putting the defenders in different places. Our kids play fast and then read where the defender is and make the appropriate play. I love it. I love it. And uh, coaches might be wondering about where ball screen fits in and you definitely run some ball screen, but is that more set type play oriented or is it part of the flow of the offense? It is set set play oriented, although we do a lot of um, just quick ball screens. Almost It would almost be like a drag screen. Um, so as if we're attacking down the court, we don't really have anything in the the person with the ball in the right 45, let's say they, they don't they don't see the kick up there. 
and they can't get past the defender, they may quick uh, call a quick ball screen. We call it a five strong quick ball screen roll. Then we're right into the dribble drive. Um, so we do work on that, uh, the ball screen stuff. It's probably more out of set place for us, but we do do some quick, like kind of drags and transition. Great. And, uh, you know, the other modern thing to account for is obviously cutting off of drives and cutting off of ball screens and stuff like that. And, uh, I'm imagining that's a big next level for what you're trying to do there. It is, especially when you drive, you you'll see in the NBA, they do a good job with it. We haven't really gotten our players accustomed to it yet, but that opposite 45 cut, because the defense often turns their head or tries to um, kind of support the, the drive with some help and you can cut behind them all the time. Yeah. That second cut that that's so lethal when your players get used to it and the timing of it and everything that comes with it. And the other advantage obviously is it creates more space, even if you don't pass to them. Yeah, that's right. It creates more space. And what happens too, is when you drive a lot, a lot of times the defense is sinking like, because people throw it to the corner so much and they're going to help with that. So when you cut from that opposite 45, it kind of puts them in a bit of a bind. Well, yeah. And I love, I love this whole thing. I mean, it all starts and people need to understand this. It all starts from a template. It all starts from a structure and people have asked me about how to teach that off the ball cutting stuff. And I've said to them, like, sometimes you just have to tell them you must cut every time to start with. So they get used to cutting and then gradually it becomes more of a possibility, right? Yes, exactly. Because they're not used to it. It's it's a little bit of a um, unnatural cut for them at times. So yeah, you got to force them to do that. Coach, I I, I know one of the stats that uh, uh, was sent to me by uh, Ryan, your uh, video guy, Ryan Murray, who's done a great job helping me prepare for this podcast as well, was J.C. Selden was number five in the country in transition points per game last year. I'm imagining that your players are seeing the benefits of this and they're enjoying it, right? Yeah, no doubt. And uh, yeah, it's like, once again, you start playing like this and all of a sudden she's, and she's very quick. She's a great athlete, but she's thinking, man, the more I run, the easier shots I'm getting. And so, yeah, she ended up being fifth in the country in, in transition baskets and just, it's a testament, I think, to the overall system, but also how hard she runs in transition. Well, I'm so excited to watch your third year of using this. And I know that this year hopefully is a little more traditional for you. Because I know you and all other coaches have had some challenges over the past year and a bit to get some of these systems and new teachings in uh, just with less players and all the different pandemic restrictions. So you must have been enjoying the offseason of having your players together. No question. We had a great summer. It was fun to have them all together. And I'm hopefully the, the fall goes as planned because we've got you know, a lot of teaching to try to get this thing to the next level. And I'm excited to roll it out there in November and see where we're at. Well, I'm excited you shared all this, Coach. Thank you so much for sharing the game with us. Just tremendous stuff. And I know a lot more people will be watching your team play because of this as well. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout-out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter. Mm-hmm.